So this morning, I want to tell you about the rudest awakening I've ever received. Uh, anybody just receive a rude awakening at some point in your, um, in your life? Uh, the one that comes to mind to me was the, uh, the, the final um, morning that uh, Diane and I were in Paris. Uh, went there. I went there for a couple of weeks on a uh, trip with pastors visiting different missionaries and pastors throughout the country. Diane came for the last week, and we spent like the final night uh, before we had to board the plane in Paris. And so we spent the night on town. We went to the, uh, I think it's called the Latin Quarter. You know, they've got like these restaurants there that are like really like, you know, romantic. And before you go in, they have like this pile of plates, and you can actually take a plate and throw it in the ground, and it crashes all over the place. And, you know, that's kind of a fun thing to do. And, uh, but, you know, with the time difference between France and the United States, we had to get up super early in the morning to get to the airport to catch our flight. And, uh, and for some reason, we set the alarm, and the alarm didn't go off. And so we are just in a dead sleep at about 3 o'clock in the morning um, when the pastor friends who was also going to catch the same plane, he called our room and he said, hey, where are you guys? And I was just woken up out of slumber and we just, you know, kind of felt like I was in another world. And we had to so quickly gather everything together and just jump out of our hotel room and get on our way to the airport. A super disorienting experience. If you've ever had a rude awakening in your life, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, this morning, what I'm going to look at, what we want to look at this morning is a church that got a wake-up call, a church uh, that had a rude awakening by Jesus. And so we've been making our way through the early part of the book of Revelation. Um, the uh, series, what we're in, is Incoming Message is what it's called. And at the start of this book, there's seven different letters that Jesus writes to seven different churches. And so we're looking through each one to understand that uh, what were the situations that they went through and what are the situations we find ourselves in that we're going through today and what are the connections? Uh, what did God say to them and what is he saying to us now? And so we are going to, uh, to look at his letter um, to a church called Sardis. So if you have a Bible... You can open it up to Revelation chapter 3. We're starting in verse 1, and uh, it'll also be right here on the screen. So let's read it together. It says this, And to the angel of the church in Sardis write, The words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up. And strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Remember then what you have received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. Yet you still have a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy." The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments, and I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. All right, now, uh, Jesus' message to five out of the seven churches that he writes to 
starts out talking about the, the work that's going on in each church. He leads with this phrase, I know your works. See, Jesus is particularly interested, particularly attentive to, to the work that's getting done at the local church level. He cares. He cares that his people are putting faith into action, that they're doing the work of ministry. And what we've seen is that anywhere he finds that, anywhere he sees that work going on, he goes out of his way to applaud it and celebrate it. We've seen that in each of the letters up to this point, but there's something different about the state of this church in Sardis. Jesus tells them, what I know about the work at your church is that it's not happening. Nothing's happening. The work of ministry is not getting done. So Sardis would be what you would call a standout church, but, but not in a good way, in kind of the worst way possible, because there's just nothing going on there that Jesus can applaud. It's like he wants to, but there's just nothing. There's nothing to applaud. And, and what's, what's fascinating about this church is also that this is the only church that isn't working through some kind of really challenging situation. All of the other churches we've looked at, they're wrestling through these issues. Some are on the outside, some are on the inside, but there's no threats to be found on the radar screen in this church in Sardis. And so, you know, at first you might hear that and say, that sounds like the kind of church that I want to be a part of. I want to belong to that church. You know, drama-free, nothing, nothing to deal with. You know, sign me up to pastor a problem-free church. Except here's the thing. The reasons there's no problems going on is because there's nothing going on, right? The people aren't doing anything. The, the church, they've just been lulled into lethargy, and they stopped working, spiritual inertia. They lost sight of this reality that, that God had put them where they were, put them together as a church for a purpose. And so Jesus makes this bold declaration. He says, guys, your church is dead. So the idea is that when the ministry stops, when the work ceases, the church starts dying. Because Jesus designed his church to be about something, to be active and engaged in the work of ministry. And we always make the distinction here at Lakeview, we're very careful to make the distinction that, that we don't earn our way to heaven. Works are not what makes us right with God, right? No one is going to get a ticket to heaven because they've done enough good things. Not now, not ever. Ephesians 2 makes that so clear that we are saved by grace through faith, it's the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. That's, that's the gospel. The gospel is that uh, salvation is received, it's not achieved. And when we're in heaven, no one is going to be bragging about, oh, here's the good things that I did to get in. That, that conversation will not happen in heaven. The only thing that's going to be bragged about, we're all going to be bragging about the amazing grace of God. We're going to be bragging about the good work, the great work that Jesus did when he went to the cross to accomplish our salvation. So, so we, don't, we don't work for our salvation, but here's the thing. We do work out our salvation, right? After Jesus makes his home in our hearts, he goes to work in us. 
And his work produces something. That's the expectation. That same passage in Ephesians, in fact, it goes on and makes that very point. That, you know, we're saved by grace through faith, not by works. It's the gift of God. And then the very next sentence says this, for we are his workmanship, God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has prepared in advance for us to do. So we're not saved by works, but we are saved for works. And those works, that's a vital sign of authentic faith. And the problem is that that vital sign was flatlining at this church in Sardis. And that, Jesus says, that, that, that's actually worse of an issue than you think it is. This is, this is fatal. They, they didn't even know it. But, but they've experienced the spiritual equivalent of a cardiac arrest. And essentially, at this church, it's game over. And the reality is that that's also true, not only of their church, but of any church. When the ministry stops, the church dies. And so that's, that's the situation. It goes on and talks about the, the cause of death, comprehend the cause of death. And Jesus tells them this, that... Guys, you have a reputation, and that reputation that you have, it does not line up with reality. There's this disconnect between, between the way your church is perceived and the way it actually is. So, so they would have believed that their church was alive. But, but it's kind of like Bruce Willis in The Sixth Sense, if you remember that movie, right? He's dead but he doesn't know it, and he's going through and thinking that he's still alive. And so Jesus, Jesus tells him, guys, this place is dead. The work stopped and the church died. And what that means is that there was a time when that church was alive, right? But they were, they were stuck there in the past. They, they were the church of remember when. Have you ever been to a church like that? The church of remember when. They had their their moments in the past and God showed up and he did some amazing things and lives were changed and people were reached and the grace of God was giving people a whole new way of living out their lives and people were being generous with their time, with their resources and they were coming alongside those in need and and walking with them and, and there was a passion to see God's work done, to start ministries, and, 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 and the love of Christ just permeated their fellowship. That's the way it was. But at a certain point, something shifted, and they started settling. They, they took their foot off the gas, and they started getting comfortable, and somehow being blinded by the afterglow of yesterday's accomplishments they lost sight of the reality that there's more that needs to get done. The job's not finished. There's more to do. It's right there in front of you, but you're not grabbing it. You're not stepping into it. They're just, they're just stuck at a place. You know, that's a, it's a familiar storyline. There's a lot of Sardis churches out there stuck in the past with no signs of life in the present. And the reality is we don't want to fool ourselves, right? Our church is not immune from that becoming our story, right? What happens to them could very easily happen to us as well. Let's, let's be aware of that. And, and quite honestly, given the 
season that we have been in, the one that we're in right now, we are more prone to that becoming our story, uh, to that becoming the story of Lakeview Community Church now, I think, than ever before. Right, because this church, for those of you who have spent time here, we, we've been through some amazing seasons uh, over the last 18 years. Uh, God has set this church up in incredible ways. And the truth is we have a reputation, right? People say things when they talk about Lakeview Community Church. I don't know what you would say. The, what is the reputation of, of our church one thing that I hear, I've heard consistently over the course of time for many, many years is that this place is a loving community. That when people walk into our gathering space, whether it's here at the Steeple Center or back when we were in Casey Hall at Carmel High School, is that there's just a sense of God's love and of feeling cared for, this loving community. And, and that's, that's been something that's been so consistent but here's the question. Here's the, here's the tough question. Is that still true? Right? Does, does our reputation still match with reality? So for those of you who are keeping track, it is exactly, today is exactly one year ago when everything changed. All right? It was March 8th, 2020. That was the last time we all gathered together as a church. And um, little did we know back then how disorienting life would become. But since then, you know, God has just been so good. He has sustained us and saw us through every step of the way. And, and we're still here, praise God. But I also want to say something that that church that last met together on March 8th, 2020, it's a very different, it's a very different place from the church that's meeting here this morning on March 7th, 2021. And, and to, to many of you who are hunkered down at home, I am so glad for technology that we've been able to stay connected through the season. And I'm also so glad that the way that God has worked, that even in this Season of shutdown, our church has continued to grow. We've grown uh, physically with more people coming here on Sunday mornings, and we've also had people um, connect virtually as well, and that's, that's great. I'm so grateful for how we've been able to navigate that given the circumstances. Um, but at the same time, I also want to be very honest and tell you that there's some sadness and there's so, some concern about just how dialed back the work of ministry has become over the course of this past year. Now, as I say this, I want to be clear. I am not pointing fingers at anyone. I am not trying to make anyone feel bad or guilty or anything like that. It's just that there is a different dynamic in place now, right? It's, it's obvious we don't have to convince anybody. But I, I, I hope and I pray that it's a, it's a temporary pause. But we don't know that. I don't know that. I don't know how we are going to remerge and what kind of church we are going to be on the other side of this. Because we've been disconnected. We have been a disconnected body for a very long time. 
And so here's the questions that I'm asking, and, and just about every pastor in churches across America, at least, are asking, who's actually coming back? Who's still a part of this church? When are they coming back? And most importantly, what does that all mean for the work of ministry that God has assigned to this church body and put in front of us to get done? So from what I can tell, we've done a decent job at maintaining the basics, you know, the bare basics. But we really haven't moved the needle forward when it comes to the work of ministry. That, that vital sign at this church is kind of at an alarming level. Um, and I hope that at least, at the very least, causes us to, to wonder, what does Jesus have to say about the lack of activity that's going on at Lakeview Community Church? Because he knows about it. He knew what's going on in Sardis. He knows what's going on here. What would he say to us? Is our reputation still going to match reality and will it on the other side of this season that we're in? So let me, let me get a little more personal and ask you, what is the new normal going to be for you? Because for many across churches in America, it's, it's this, sit down on your couch, turn on a screen, and tune in for a service on a screen for maybe about an hour a week while you try not to multitask. And I say this from experience. I've tried this a couple of Sundays. And I understand how hard it is to not like, you know, like do some grocery shopping, you know, fill out your basket for, uh, you know, stop and shop or, 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 or you know, add something, you know, some to, your, to your shopping bin in, in Amazon. Um, and then... After that service is over, you turn the screen off and you go on with the rest of life. I, I really hope that that's not the new normal. I, I hope Sardis isn't the story that defines this church, where we start living in the past, remembering about, here. remember the good old days before COVID hit, right? I've heard people say, you know, we just got comfortable staying home. It's, it's so much easier to just turn on the screen than it is to actually come to church. There's nothing keeping us, but we're just not coming. So let me gently ask you, but very challenging as, a, as your pastor, are you ready to tell that story to Jesus? Just something to consider. Jesus, Jesus tells this church in Sardis, he says, guys, I found your works incomplete. It's like, it's like they handed in this assignment and they hadn't finished it yet. Did you ever do that? Did you ever try that in school? You know, the, the teacher could have failed you, but he didn't. And so you walk into class and the paper, it's there on your desk and you walk over it so you look at the grade and instead of getting an F, you get an I, incomplete. Assignment not completed. Go back and finish the work. You could have failed, but instead you're given another chance. That's, that's the kind of savior, that's the kind of teacher Jesus is. It, Sardis churches get second chances, and you know, their church is dead. 
But Jesus is in the business of raising churches from the dead. And his heart is to write a resurrection story in any church that's flatlined from lack of action. And so he goes on and he lays out, here is the course to get back on track. Here's how to go about where you are to get to finishing the work. And he says it starts with waking up. He says, wake up. Get out of sleep mode. Stop checking out and start locking in to what's going on. The literal translation is be watching. It's this call to not just watch one time, but to living a life of ongoing attentiveness. And that's, that phrase was particularly meaningful for, for the Christians in Sardis because their city, um, they actually had a history of falling asleep at the wheel. So Sardis, that city, was a seemingly impenetrable fortress kind of city. It was set high on a mountain. Uh, it was a ridge, and there was sheer rock on every side of them. And because of that, Sardis had a reputation. You know what their reputation was? Nobody can invade us. Nobody can get in here. And they were so sure of that. They, they were so sure that they were safe that they stopped keeping guards at the gate. They didn't keep guards at the lookout. And not once, but two times in the course of their history, that city was attacked and overrun in the middle of the night while they slept. So Jesus is telling the church, don't let the story of your city turn into the story of your church. Resurrection starts with waking up to the reality that God's redeemed people. We're living in this broken world and we're here for a purpose. And that purpose, it's bigger than ourselves. It's just bigger than just living for our own comfort and, and, and lining up our lives to be as convenient and carefree as possible. Is that something we're, we're awake to? The call of God will always call us out of our comfort zones. So Jesus tells them to, to wake up, and then he tells them to get going. He says, strengthen what remains and is about to die. And so on one hand, you could look at that and say, man, the diagnosis is dire. But here's the thing. It's only fatal if the lack of action continues. In other words, this church, he's saying, it doesn't have to stay dead. You know, a lot's been lost and, and what's left is so much less than it used to be. It's so much less than it ought to be. But there's still hope, right? Because what's left, he says, that has the capacity to be strengthened, to grow strong again. And so even when things are hard, they're not hopeless. The key is to start where you're at and to strengthen what you've got. Not what you had in the past, not what you wish you could have at the moment, even if it's just the smallest amount, work with it because the littlest bit can still be built back up. Start what you got. I think that's, somebody told me once that that's the first rule of fashion. You've got to work with what you've got. I remember uh, going to, uh, to the hair salon as a teenager and, and the lady who cut my hair had the sign sitting on the counter and it said, I'm a beautician, not a magician, right? And so, you know, when I was a kid, I loved the Fonz hairdo. You know, he had the hair slicked back like that. And so I go in and I say, 
can you make my hair look like the Fonz? And she said, no, you'll end up looking like Howdy Doody. <laughs> it's, just, it's just not who I am, you know? And, and so there's a reality of like, accept the way things are. Get going. Get at it. Don't get stuck in the what ifs. Don't get stuck in the if onlys, those, those regrets about what could be and what should be. There's no life in that. You know, there wasn't, there wasn't a lot of life left in Sardis, but here's kingdom principle 101. Jesus doesn't need a lot to work with, right? Jesus actually, he doesn't care about the amount that we have. What he cares about is that we're using what we have, whether it's a lot or whether it's a little. He adds the increase. Isn't that the, the, the story of the parable of the tenants? You know, some got much, some got some, some got little. That didn't matter. Faithfulness was just using what they had. Or, or remember the story about the, uh, the, the boy with just a few loaves and the fish. He didn't have a whole lot. He brought them to Jesus, and Jesus added the increase, and he fed 5,000. That's, that's the way work gets done in the kingdom. And lastly, Jesus tells them, remember, remember, don't forget, don't lose sight of what it's all about. It's not about living for your own comfort. It's not about living a life of ease. Remember, church, you have been called, you've been commissioned. Don't forget, never forget what it's all about. Never receive, forget what you've received and everything God has placed in your hands. He's placed you within a church, a local congregation, a church family. He's given you unique abilities and giftings to help build it up. He describes the church as, as his spiritual body, Jesus does, you know, that together we make up and we, we, we become the spiritual body of Christ. And so the same way that when Jesus was here physically, he reflected um, the way things ought to be. You know, his, his redemptive presence and, and his purposes, the things that he did, we continue to do as a church. We live that out in this world. And, and, and the church becomes this small little glimpse of, of seeing God's will done on earth as it is in heaven. That's, that's the goal. That, that happens as as the body goes to work, as ministry takes place. It doesn't happen as, you know, minister, professional ministers just do their jobs and, uh, you know, everyone else kind of spectates, right? That it says each part of the body of Christ uses the gifts that they've been given to strengthen and build it up because I'm not the body of Christ by myself. You're not the body of Christ by yourself. We are together the body of Christ, and the, part, the, body part, the body parts need to stay connected in order to work together. That's, that's how this thing works. And I'll tell you this, that at, at the present moment that we are in, the body parts at Lakeview Community Church are spread out all over the place. And, and maybe that's the way it has to be for the moment we're in, I understand that, but understand this too. That's not okay, right? If it's temporarily the way it has to be, okay, but that is, it's not okay. We, we need those with the gift of compassion 
to be compassionate here. You know, we need those with the gift of encouragement to encourage. We need the prophets to prophesy. We need the teachers to teach. We need the helpers to help. We need the leaders to lead. That's, that's how the work gets done, and that's how the assignment that we've been given continues to get completed. Jesus raises dead churches back to life to complete the work that's incomplete. And I know this for sure. At Lakeview Community Church, the work's not done yet. There is work that he, is in, he has in mind for this church that we have yet to do. It's the reason why we're still here. And what that means I am firmly confident of is that our best days are not behind us. They're, they're in front of us. They have yet to be written, right? So, so let me make a very pointed application as we get closer to closing. Let me, let me say this. And here's the challenge with saying anything like this, right? We are so polarized that the moment I say something, I run the risk of you saying, oh, well, you're just like them. You know, you want to be just like Texas. They want to open everything up and they don't care about people. They want people to die. Or no, you want to be just like California. You want people to wear four masks. You don't want anyone to ever come out. No, please, I'm telling you, that is not what I'm saying. I want to speak and I want to be able to at least trust that we're able to listen without going to our polars, right? So having said that, running the risk of you're going to think whatever you want, Here's what I want to say. I want you back here. I want you back. As soon as possible. Don't hear in that that I'm trying to put pressure on anyone. I don't want anyone back here before it's possible. But the moment it's possible, I'm really hoping to see you here. Because there are no non-essential body parts at this church. We are less without you. And so, Lord willing, as cases continue to drop as the weather warms up and we approach the spring, um, I'm, I am aiming for Palm Sunday as a welcome back Sunday. I think that's like three weeks away. Um, it will not be back to normal right? Uh, we, are, we are still going to be spread out. We are still going to be practicing very safe, sound safety protocols. Unfortunately, we will not be brewing any coffee for the time being. Um, but my goal is to be able to use that as a moment to welcome our church back into this place, to be able to continue um, the ministry of this church. I feel like right now we're like we're like doing it with like one hand tied behind our back, you know. For, for those of you who are newer to Lakeview, you don't know how loving a community this is. Like these people just love and it's, it's, it's just amazing. We have had uh, so many families uh, find a home at Lakeview Community Church. I know that one of the biggest things that is keeping people from coming back is the fact that we have such a limited children's ministry. Thank God uh, we have uh, two women, Stacy Egler and Pat Carano. Every week, they lovingly go downstairs. They lead the large group children's ministry. They love it. The kids love it. The things that are happening are great. And I would love it if we could take that from one class even 
to two classes. Like, that would be amazing. I would love it if we could have greeters at the front entrance that would welcome people. Um, I would just love it if there were people here to just be able to uh, say hello to each other and to minister to each other in, where, in ways that are just, um, you know, some of them are just like really structured and some of them just happen in the course of just being around each other. And, and so I want to ask you if you can help out. If you can help out with that, please let me know. Uh, please just, even if you want to take a piece of paper and say, what can I do? And throw it in the uh, offering box. Do that if you're online and you're, you're willing to do that. Uh, put something in there. Send me an email, whatever you can do. If you're not ready to come back then, that's okay. There's no judgment. That's not what it's about. But here's, here's the question I want to ask you. Have you thought about when that day will be and what that will look like and what it is that you're waiting for? Spell it out, please. Um, write it down and then resolve to do that. Because if not, it can just keep on feeling like it's just never going to happen because there's so many things that can get in the way. Uh, understand this. The work of God is a serious issue. It's significant. It matters. Because Jesus is coming again, and the question that this passage leads us to and leaves us with is, what is he going to find his people doing when he returns? Are we going to be hiding out? Are we going to be hanging out? Are we going to be stuck in sleep mode? Or are we going to be active and about his business? See, attached at the end of this exhortation is, it's a for real warning. He says this to this church, if you will not wake up, if you blow this off and you keep on just doing nothing, Jesus says, I'm going to come back like a thief. You're not going to know when it's going to happen. I'm going to come against you. See the same thing that happened to your city? It was ransacked when you were sleeping says that's going to happen again, and guess who's going to be the thief? It's going to be me, and you're going to be in for the shock of your life. When churches continue to blow off Jesus' instructions, that turns them from a friend to a foe. And I know it's really easy to convince ourselves that that doesn't apply to us. You know, that's for someone else. That's judgment. We're not prone to God's judgment. That would never apply to us. You know, that's what Israel thought all throughout the Old Testament. That was a big problem. That's a big part of what the problem was for them. And, and so Jesus went so out of his way to tell these stories to make sure that we don't miss it. Like, like remember the one about the, the master? He went away. He left his servants in charge of his vineyard. And after the master left, the servants started hanging out. They started just slacking off. The attitude is, ah, he's gone forever. He's not coming back. We don't have to worry about it. And the story didn't end well for them. You see, ignore Jesus' instructions at your own risk. And to a certain degree, and I don't know exactly how it works out, but we do need to be able to balance all of our fears and concerns about what ifs with a healthy dose of the fear of God. We gotta have that. We gotta have that because there's work to get done. So, so hear the wake-up call. Let's hear the wake-up call. Let's, let's never settle for turning into a sleeping church, checked out, comfortable, 
safe because it's not an option for God's people. And, and my prayer is that the Holy Spirit is priming the pump right now here at Lakeview Church and that we'll be able to begin this process of re-emerging. It's not going to happen all at once. It's going to be a long, you know, gradual process. Um, we don't know how things unfolded at that church in Sardis, but here at Lakeview, the story's not over. There's work to do. The best chapters lie in the front of us, not behind us. They're yet to be written and we get the chance to be a part of that unfolding together. Let's pray. Lord,